Isaiah chapter 30, I invite you to turn back to that passage. We endeavor to bring a motto text, as it were. You can take it as a motto text at the start of this new year. And we have entitled a little message this morning, Wait on God. Wait on God. Let's just unite our heart together, please. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the good singing. We thank the Lord for prayer that has already been offered, the reading of the scriptures. Lord, we pray as we come to thy word that thou might give us understanding. Lord, pour out of thy Holy Spirit upon us. Lord, that we might behold wondrous things out of thy word today. I might, Lord, implant it in our heart. We might take it away with us. It might be a little nugget we can carry with us throughout this year. O oh God, speak, Lord, we pray, with thy still, small voice. I pray to that end thou would fill us with thy spirit and with power, that we might preach as thus. And thus saith the Lord, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. There's a chapter that commences with the ominous woe of God upon the people. The problem was that although they understood that they needed help, and they needed help because the Assyrian armies were about to overcome the northern kingdom, and Israel were about to go into exile, and after they had conquered them, they would turn then to Judah in the south, and the same would be the outcome. So they needed help. But in seeking help, they didn't look to God. They were wise enough to look outside of themselves for help. But they were foolish because instead of looking to God, they looked to others. They took counsel, but not of God. They had their ideas, but they weren't of the Spirit's leading. They had rejected the Lord, but they had only added sin to their sin by trusting in something else. To trust in Egypt is likened to a shadow. You know what a shadow of, of course, there's no substance in a shadow. There would not be any benefit to them. And so the exhortation is given in verse 7, For the Egyptians shall help in vain, and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this, their strength is to sit still. Their strength was not to turn to the arm of flesh. For the arm of flesh invariably means a departure from God. But the exhortation was to sit still in dependence upon the Lord who cannot fail. And God instructs the preacher here, the prophet Isaiah, not only to preach it, but you'll notice also he has instructed to write it down, to put it in a book, that it might be preserved for posterity. It was to be written that it might be a shame to the men who would not hear or neither would they heed the word that was spoken. It was to be written down to justify God in his actions of judgment that were coming upon them and it was to be written down so as to warn others not to do as they did lest the same judgment would also come upon them. How these people are described doesn't make for good reading. They're spoken of as rebellious people. They don't want to hear God's word. They didn't want to hear faithful preaching. Instead, verse 10, speak unto us smooth things. The sort of stuff that tickles the ear. The sort of stuff that Paul warned young Timothy about as a pastor in his day. 
where people will turn away their ears from the truth. And men and women, when I consider these verses that are for our admonition, they're for our instruction. For here's a passage, not merely historical, but rather it is application for all time. People increasingly do not want to hear the word of God preached today. It's just like as in Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah chapter 5, in the words of verse 31, it says, The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. And what will ye do in the end thereof? The message that Isaiah had to deliver was one of judgment. And thereby they were scattered to such an extent there's only a remnant that was left. And you'll notice how that remnant is described in verse 17. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one, at the rebuke of five shall ye flee, till ye be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain, as as an ensign on an hill. They are likened just to a beacon or to an ensign. We would maybe use the words today, just a standard, just a banner on top of a hill. And as I read those words, as I thought of our congregation set here, just a little remnant, but one that unfurls the standard or the banner of the cross on a hill. And men and women, if we're faithful, then the Lord has given us the promise that I bring to you in verse 19. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. There's a wee part of a verse you can take to heart this year. Let me show you first of all here the posture of God. Because I have to deal with the previous verse and others around us if we're going to get an understanding of it. It was Andrew Bonner, that Scottish divine. If you haven't got Bonner's diary, go out and get it, read it. As Andrew Bonner, seen by his brother to be pacing up and down his study, very agitated one day, and his brother asked him, what was the matter? What's wrong with you? And then Bonner answered, he says, I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. And doesn't that sum us up well at times? We approach God and the hustle and bustle of this life and of this world and we expect God to jump at once to all our demands and all our requests. But the posture we see that the Lord God adopting here is one of waiting. Now, there's a waiting spoken about at the end of verse 18. And that has to do with God's people and we'll have to get to that. But the first waiting is by God himself. Verse 18, therefore will the Lord wait. Imagine a God who waits on his people. Imagine a God who's long-suffering and patient to the extent that he's prepared to wait. And there are times when it seems that God is doing nothing. It is perceived that he has withdrawn himself. Indeed, there's nothing much that's happening. There's nothing but judgment and trial upon trial. And there seems to be nothing happening by way of good. But even in such times, 
We know that the sovereign God is doing according to the purpose of his eternal will. And all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them that are called according to his purpose. He's yet working out his eternal decree, even though we cannot see it. And here the message to his own chosen people was in the midst of judgment, there was the mercy at hand. God was waiting for them to return unto himself. You see the words of verse 15, it gives the counsel. For thus saith the Lord God. This is not a word just merely of a prophet. This is God's word. This is the message from the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. In returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And ye would not. The counsel is offered, but they refused it. Here was the response that they ought to have made in light of the attacking Assyrians return from their backslidings and their deliverance would be in being still. It's a very same, it's very akin to what the psalmist has brought out in Psalm 46. And it's a psalm we often sing together for Psalm 46 in the words of verse 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. But it was a message which they rejected. They refused to hear it. And therefore the Lord's posture here was one of waiting. Is that what the Lord is reminding us about at the start of this new year? That he is waiting. He's waiting until we return and desiring that we will be like Israel of old and wait and see and stand and see the salvation of the Lord. If we continue to think that we can do the work ourselves by our own initiatives, that we can outmaneuver the, the, the enemy, then this will be a year where we will see little by way of blessing, for God will yet be waiting. But the posture of God is not only waiting, but also one of being willing. It is not that he's waiting to do nothing. Notice the verse 18. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted. The purpose of Christ for his church is that he might be gracious. He's more willing to be gracious and to bless than we are to receive it. And you know every child of God can testify that to be true this morning. He's more willing to show grace and mercy to us when we sought him for salvation. The Lord was willing to choose us in Christ from eternity past. He was willing to send his only begotten son even to redeem his people unto himself. He was willing to give his Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and to show us of our need of Christ. He's willing to justify us, to adopt us into his family and into his fold. He is yet a willing God, willing to bestow favor upon his church. He does not cut us off in our sins, but he waits to be gracious. And that is the picture that is being presented here in our very text. The Lord is yet waiting and willing to be gracious to his church. God is willing to be gracious unto his church here in Market Hill. And I tell you, he's one who's also watching. There's a set time when God will arise to be gracious. The verse instructs us it will be that time when, it will be, when he will be most glorified. 
For he's a jealous God who will not give his glory unto another. And therefore, it says in verse 18, he will be exalted that he may be merciful unto you. He waits for the fittest time to show mercy. When things are brought to the worst, to the greatest extremity, when his people are brought to a sense of their danger, of their sins, and of repentance for them, and to see the need of his help, his salvation, and to depend upon him for it, that is the most seasonable time. In the most seasonable time does the Lord appear. I may ask men and women, is the church in not a such a state that that is what we need? That is what we need. No longer for the Lord to wait, but to arise and to be gracious unto her. And therefore he will be exalted. If it is the set time, he will be glorified, for we can do not anything without him. We cannot do anything of ourselves. It maybe brings to mind the word of Habakkuk, chapter 2, in the words of verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. We've got to understand the posture of God here. But what about the path to blessing? We ask ourselves, why is it that we have not seen the manifestations of his blessings already in the manner in which he is shown here, in which we need them? Why was God still waiting to show grace and mercy to Israel and for his glory? The context of the verse shows us the fault didn't lie with God. It was to do with the people themselves. And if we take note of these things, then we will also learn what is our responsibility this year. First thing is that our dependence must be upon God alone. That was not how it was for Israel. For you'll note that with the threat of the Assyrian coming against them, that they turned to form an alliance with their neighbor, Egypt. They sought help from the very place that the Lord had delivered them out of. Their deliverance, their dependence was upon what Egypt could do for them. But instead of help and strength, their experience would be one of shame and confusion. Look at verse 6. The burden of the beasts of the south into the land of trouble and anguish. From whence come the young, the old lion, the viper and fiery flying serpent. They will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young asses, their treasures upon the bunches of camels to a people that shall not profit them. They were prepared to make that long, arduous journey. A journey that was fraught with danger. All along the way and all to no avail. For Egypt will never profit the people of God. The sentence of God concerning such action and dependence is clear for all to see. If you turn over to chapter 31 verse 1, it says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. 
And stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many. And in horsemen because they were very strong. But they will not look unto the Holy One of Israel. Neither seek the Lord. Again the woe of heaven is upon them. Separation is to be maintained from Egypt. And as a student of God's word. You will know of course that Egypt speaks to us in the scriptures of the world. And all that is against God. We have no errand in running to Egypt for help when we know the attack of the enemy against us. God has not brought us out of the world, brought us out of the apostasy in order that we might seek it again in times of need. And this was something that God warned Israel about. I'll read you just Deuteronomy chapter 17 in the words of verse 16. But he shall not multiply horses to himself. He's speaking about the king that will be over them. Nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord has said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. They weren't to go down to Egypt. They weren't to direct their people down there either. Just because they had the greater number of horses, etc., If we depend upon man this year instead of upon the Lord, then we will not know the fullness of his blessing that he waits to pour out upon us. You'll consider also that our confidence needs to be in the Lord. For Israel, their confidence was placed in the number of the horses, the number of the horsemen in Egypt, the chariots and all of that. They saw the Assyrians coming. And so they went to make this alliance with Egypt. Why? Because they had the horses. They had the chariots. They had the horsemen. Instead of waiting upon God as he bid them to do, they took to their heels. And they would not listen to God's word, which is our guide. And what Israel did is what the flesh is prone to do when trouble and problems arise. There's the proneness to run to what looks like the answer. The short-term fix. In terms of the work of the church, you might ask, what does that look like? There's a proneness to look at what all our churches are doing. To what they try in order to fill the empty seats. And the temptation is to follow suit. To be copious. And all of that is a misplaced confidence. For it is not in the Lord God who is the sole head and the sole king of his church. What is the way to blessing? Look at Isaiah chapter 32 verse 14. Because the palaces shall be forsaken, the multitude of the city shall be left, the forts and the towers shall be for dens forever, a joy of wild asses, a pasture of flocks. That's, that, that verse gives you a picture of desolation. A picture that needs to be turned about, it needs to be changed. Words that might sum up much in the work of God. Desolation. But that desolation will be dispersed. When what? When we engage in a worldly program for the church. When we actively encourage our young people to turn again to the things that the Lord has saved us out of. When we embrace the contemporary scene, the contemporary music, the contemporary entertainment, which is obviously appealing with so many other places. Is that with a way of blessing? No! Look at the words of 
the next verse. It says in verse 15, Until, until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and a fruitful field be counted for a forest. Desolation will be known until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high. We could say it in the words of Zechariah 4, 6, Not by might nor by power, but it is with my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We can do without these other things, and we need to. And the free church needs to. But this year we cannot do without the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God from on high being poured out upon us. We need that Pentecostal power. Our confidence must be in the Lord God who has given His Spirit to His church. And then we shall know the blessing men and women doing God's work in God's decreed way. You see, also the path is one of waiting upon God. Look at the words again, if I can take you back to that verse 18. Therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. I've said to you, there's two waitings. Waiting of God in the opening of the part of the text, but here it's the waiting of, of God's people. There's no substitute for the blessing of God and waiting upon him. And that is where real happiness is to be found. In fact, I will go as far to say that no saved soul can be happy unless they're waiting upon God. There's no excuse to stop praying and waiting upon the Lord. Indeed, if you ever wanted a promise that ought to encourage us to pray, we have it in our text today. The Lord God waits to be gracious unto us. And blessed are they that wait upon him. Waiting upon God means it's a submissive spirit. We look away from ourselves unto God. And when we do that, it crucifies the flesh. It means that we will know strength. Isaiah 40 and verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It in order, enables us to do those things that ordinarily we can't do. Our strength will never be found in running after the latest spiritual craze. It will be in waiting upon God. Our expectation is from God. work of God this year will only advance in as far as God's people learn to wait upon God and seek Him in prayer. I want to repeat that. The work of God in Market Hill will only advance in as far as God's people learn to wait upon Him and seek Him in prayer. And that includes the minister. I wonder, will you covenant before God to be such a man or woman, young person, for the furtherance of Christ's kingdom, whatever the Assyrian threat may be that will come against us, and it will come. And it may look differently. But the enemy is there. 
Whether it is a threat personally or whether it is collectively as a congregation, the word of the Lord to us is exactly the same. Wait on him. Maybe I'm preaching to a child of God this morning. There's an emptiness with you. It's not what it used to be with you. Is it because you haven't waited upon God? My prayer is that this year we will be different. We'll all be different. And instead we'll follow the path of blessing. There's one final little thought and it is simply this prayer answered. If this remnant of God were to heed his word and wait upon him, then there would be the blessings of God's grace experienced. He waits to be gracious that he may have mercy upon us. Mercy and judgment may seem to be opposites, but they're not really. God can show both at the same time. He did so at Calvary. The Savior took the punishment that we deserve. God's judgment was laid upon him. His justice was satisfied. And at the same time, mercy was extended through the atoning work of Christ to you and I as payment for our sin. Only God, you see, can be just and the justifier of them that believeth in Jesus. Mercy and judgment met at Calvary. And his grace means abiding instead of fleeing. The majority were to flee before this Assyrian attack. There is obvious fear as is brought out there in the words of verse 17. God's word for them was to sit still. They didn't sit still. They didn't listen to God. And to confidently wait upon him, they wouldn't do it. And if they had done that, then notice what the blessings would be. Notice how prayer would have been answered. Verse 19. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. They would still be in the city. They would still be in Zion waiting the Lord's time to appear for them. Instead of running to Egypt for help or shelter. They would dwell in safety. Tears would no longer be flowing. Tears would be turned into rejoicing. That's what God can do for us in this new year. It's not for us to concern ourselves about the enemy of this church. It's not my business, men and women, to put it like this, to be looking over my shoulder at what others are doing, the gimmicks that they are turning to. My business is to faithfully deliver the message just like Isaiah had to even here and to patiently wait for the Lord to reveal himself in power. That's my business. And I have the assurance that God is greater than all our enemies. When we trust his promises, God pours out his grace and the cry of our heart is answered. Even if it feels that God is at a distance, he hears and promises to answer. You'll notice his answer, his grace is seen in prayer answer, verse 19. People shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem, thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. Not just gracious, but very gracious. At the voice of thy cry. The Lord is waiting. 
that he might hear our cry in a time of need. Wonder, did he hear your cry this morning before you came out to the house of God? Or did you lose the battle with the blankets and with the clothes and the duvet over you? And it's a real rush to get out. Did he hear your cry? How do we cry? We do so humbly. We do it repentantly of our sin. We do it fervently. For God to come to our aid. And when we cry in such a manner, I tell you, God will wait no longer to be gracious, but he will answer our prayer. You think of Isaiah 65, verse 24. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. What answers potentially could be received this year if we are given over to waiting upon our God as he has commanded? God promises to bless. You just look, I'll give you a little summary. I wasn't time to look at all of these, but here's the promises that he promises to bless with. Verse 20, the promise of guidance. Though the Lord give you the water of adversity, the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into the corner anymore, but thine ears shall see thy teachers. What's that all about? Well, you just go back and you go home to 1 Kings 17 and you find the teacher. The teacher happened to be Elijah. Where did God send him? He sent him right to the brook Kerith, right to the corner of the land. And God says, your teachers will no more be in the, the, the corners of the land. You'll be able to see them. You'll be able to hear them. There was a famine in those days, not just of the water and the food. There was a famine of God's word. God hid his servant away. So there's a promise of guidance. Look at the words of verse 22. He shall also devile, also the covering of thy graven images of silver and the ornament of thy molten images of gold. Thou shalt cast them away as a menstruous cloth. Thou shalt say unto it, get thee hence. There's a desire for holiness. God would answer by purity. When God answer, pours out of his grace to his people and answers prayer, look at verse 23. Then shall he give the rain of thy seed, that thou shalt sow the ground withal, and bread of the increase of the earth, and shall be fat and plenteous in that day, shall thy cattle feed in large pastures. There's the answer of abundance. He waters the seed, he gives the increase. There's a fatness, there's a plenty, there's large pastures for the flock. It's God that gives the increase. Verse 25. And there shall be upon every high mountain, upon every high hill, rivers and streams of waters in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. The rivers and streams of water in every mountain. And there the enemy is subdued. The enemy is brought down. The Assyrians who were building the towers in the cities will be slaughtered and their towers raised to the ground. Men and women, we need to see the devil defeated on Market Hill. His tower is brought down. What a difference is noted, you see, at the end of this chapter to the beginning of it. The glory of the Lord is seen. His voice is heard. The people now desire to see his power. 
the Assyrian is beaten down. Turn to verse 31. For though through the voice of the Lord shall the Assyrian be beaten down, which smote with a rod. And you know, so it happened. Because I just want to give you the reference. You can write it down. You can look at it later. Second Kings 19, verse 35. You just listen to what happened. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. It just took a night. Just one night for God to work. And the Israelites rose the next morning and all they could see was the dead corpses of the Assyrians. Our God is greater than any of the strongholds of Satan. He's greater than any enemy that we will face this year. He has opened the doors of this church and the doors that the Lord has opened, no man can shut them. And men and women, you look at the last verse of the chapter altogether and there's a special place in hell for the leader, for the devil. It says, For Tephe is ordained of old, yea, for the keen it is prepared. He hath made it deep and large. The pile thereof is fire and much wood. The breath of the Lord like a stream of brimstone doth kindle it. What's that all about? Torpe means a place of fire. It happened to be at the end of the valley of Hinnom. And the valley of Hinnom is outside the city of Jerusalem. And that valley was used as really, we would say, as a refuge tip. And so the rubbish and the defilement all was carried out of the city and was dumped there. And the piles were, were, were built high and there was a continual burning. And that's why the Lord used it as an example, as a picture of hell. Because the fires never go out in hell. And it's where we get the word Gehenna from. The word for hell. And there's a special place there for the devil. And his angels. There is a prophetic note here. A prophetic note concerning these verses because the blessings that we have considered will be realized by Israel. They will have cause to sing at the destruction of Antichrist in the great day of the Lord. It truly will be the day when Psalm 46 will be fulfilled. Verse 6 says, The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he had made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am, Lord, I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Foreshadowing of Calvary. For there the Christ of God was to defeat our arch enemy, the devil. 
so that he might purchase an abundant salvation and deliverance for all who will come. Do we want to see such grace and mercy bestowed upon us this year? I would say every one of us would say yes. And you know he's able to exceedingly, abundantly, above all, answer prayer. Above all that we could ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. He's able to answer prayer. That is what this church needs. And that is what this heart needs. And that is what this land needs. Our town, our district. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. Will you pray that into your soul? May God make us willing for it in this the day of his power. For his glory and for his honor alone. The Lord bless his word our hearts this morning for his own name's sake. 565 will sing in closing please 565.
Our God and our Father, we thank thee for thy word. We thank the Lord that thou art a strength and our defender. We rest in thee and in thy name we go. Lord, help us to learn from the Israel of old how they sought the alliance with Egypt. The woe of God was upon them. Lord, that thou wilt graciously hear our cry. When, Lord, thou wilt hear it, thou wilt answer. May we be that people this year. We pray, Lord, that thou would write this word in our heart. Bless those that will part of this time go before them. Bless those that will remain around thy table. For we ask these mercies in our Savior's precious name. Amen.